Hello, and welcome to another Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine, featuring interesting, inspiring, educational, and entertaining stories, discussions, and interviews of purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Hello, everybody. This is J.W. Najarian with On Purpose Magazine, and today we're here with Johnny Bowden, the rogue nutritionist. How you doing, Johnny? I'm doing great, J.W. Thanks for having me on. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, so you're in sunny Southern California today? Very sunny, in the middle of a heat wave, 104 degrees, and I just got off the tennis court. So I'm very uh, happy to be sitting here talking to you in my air-conditioned office. <laughs> there you go. Hey, listen, Johnny, you know, um, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time, um, and... Uh, well, let me just, for people who don't know who Johnny is, let me, let me kind of go through and tell you. Johnny Bowden, Ph.D., CNS, uh, again, as I said, the rogue nutritionist, is a nationally known expert on weight loss, nutrition, and health, board-certified nutritionist with a master's degree in psychology, and the author of 14 books on health, healing, food, longevity, including two bestsellers, The 150 Healthiest Foods on Earth and Living Low Carb. Uh, you're a frequent guest on TV, uh, on shows like, uh, Fox uh, News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, um, this, you've done articles for, uh, Cosmopolitan, uh, Diabetes Focus, Marie Claire, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, on and on and on. Um, like I said, you did 14, you've, you've written 14 different books, two bestsellers, and you're probably, you're a very sought after speaker, um, and a great speaker. I've been listening to you for years. And you Thank you. You've become kind of my, you don't know, we've met a couple of times. You probably don't remember me, but uh, you, you're kind of my mentor in nutrition. Whenever I oh, check that's out very nutrition, sweet I check Thank out, you what does Johnny say? Thank so, you so much. That's very sweet of you. My pleasure. Um, Johnny, you know, I got a hold of you because I've been meaning to for a long time, but something really kind of spurred things this time. My wife sent me an article on and it was all over the place about a month ago, and that was on omega-3s and how uh, if you're taking omega-3 fish oils or krill or whatever, that you could have a 71% chance of getting, getting um, a very dangerous prostate cancer. And at the same time, I had just received the diagnosis of stage 4 highly aggressive prostate cancer. So I was all over that article, of course, because I was taking fish oil. Mm-hmm. Then she sent me your article on that you did on fish oil, which kind of just kind of shot holes all through the studies, and there's been a couple of studies. So I wanted to get you on the phone today to kind of like, let's go over that and, and, and talk about that omega-3 thing. Is omega-3 really dangerous for you, and does it promote prostate cancer, and what's wrong with these studies? Well, absolutely not. And first of all, let me say that I'm very sorry to hear about that diagnosis. Well, the, uh, the, the, the good can... thing is, just to, just to put the T and the dot the I thing, uh, very good prognosis, bad diagnosis, good prognosis. I'm doing very well, and I'm okay. I'm very glad to hear that. And I can pretty much reassure you with almost 100% certitude that, uh, and I'm very sorry that you got that diagnosis, but I can almost with 100% certainty assure you that it didn't come from omega-3s. That, that study, was, the reporting on that study was so irresponsible and so inaccurate that if the press were, were doctors, they would be sued for medical malpractice. Uh, would it interest you to know that no fish oil supplements were used in that study? No, I had no idea. No, neither did anybody else. Uh, the, the, the way that study was reported was so disgraceful. 
you know, it, 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 I, I assembled a bunch of the headlines when I did my piece on the Huffington Post on it. Right. Uh, fish oil supplements linked to prostate cancer. Don't take fish oil supplements. They may lead to increased risk. Uh, everything talked about fish oil supplements and not one fish oil supplement was given in that study. So how so did they do it that? Was, did they just talk to people and say, have you ever had fish oil or not? Is no. As a matter of fact, uh, when they did a little digging after that study was published and people like myself and, and other people who looked at it even in greater depth, uh, they, they found that actually um, uh, the cohort that was studied, they weren't even much of, they didn't even eat a lot of fish. And there was t- no one took any, uh, metrics on their supplement taking. Uh, they weren't believed to be pretty heavy supplement takers. It was a pretty average group of people, um, not known for taking fish, fairly sedentary, not terribly healthy. Um, so how did, how did this get reported that way? Well, the study actually looked at a very esoteric measure, percentage of fatty acids in the bloodstream. And, uh, you know, without getting, it, 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 it's so complicated and, and, and um, ar- arcane to go into the details of what they actually looked at. But the important thing for people to know is that this was not a study where they took two groups of people, matched them the way they do in a good randomized clinical control, uh, right. randomized double controlled, uh, double-blind placebo-controlled uh, clinical study. Uh, mm-hmm. They did not take two groups of people, two actual groups of people, give one group a placebo, one group a fish oil supplement, watch them for several years, and then see how many developed prostate cancer, and then see if they could attribute that to the fish oil. That was not what was done. What this was was an analysis of data of people who had already participated in another study. They looked at fatty acids in the bloodstream. Uh, they only looked at several. There were about 21 different fatty acids. They, they chose a couple to look at. And they found this kind of weird correlation between people who had slightly more of a particular one particular omega three in their blood uh, versus other ones uh, mm-hmm. who seem to have a, a slightly greater occurrence of prostate cancer. Uh, to to go from that to the assumption that fish oil supplements would cause prostate cancer is so preposterous that it, it almost it's almost like the Ali G show I don't know if you ever watched that when he would ask oh yeah Ali G yeah, yeah I mean yeah. It, it's almost like when he would say to you know he would have unsuspecting uh, government officials on who didn't know that the show was a joke <laughs> and he'd say things like well if you're doing such great security what do you do if Santa Claus drives his reindeer and his sled into the Pentagon and, and people would just stand there with their jaw open because, you know, their jaw just hanging down. That's that's the kind of reaction that we had to this conclusion. That Well, Johnny, uh, you know, you call yourself the rogue nutritionist, and, and it's because you've just – it seems like uh, a lot of the, the, the um, community kind of goes along with what's going on right now, like fat's good, then the fat's bad, then, then uh, sugar's bad, then sugar's good, then salt's good, then salt's bad. Jay, I'm not sure that anybody ever said sugar was good. I don't even think that that was ever once. I mean, I know that we had back and forth on butter, and we had back and forth on eggs, and we had back and forth on fat, but really I can't remember anyone from any side of the spectrum ever saying that sugar was good. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we can agree. Sugar, just bad. <laughs> yeah. Low sugar, reduced sugar, still sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as a rogue nutritionist, um, this, a lot of this kind of pseudoscience pops into nutrition all the time. That whole thing, like, um, and I could, 
you know, uh, since a shark never gets cancer, then by eating shark uh, tendon yeah. or whatever, <laughs> you're not going to get cancer either. I yeah. mean, this stuff gets a little ridiculous, does it not? Yes, it does. It sure does. Also, the, you know, the, pe- the, the, the question I have about this, these particular studies, from what you've said, is um, were these studies done by a legitimate source? It was uh, published in a, in a legitimate journal. It was done by reputable scientists. I think they had a bit of an agenda. I think okay. that uh, the fact that even though they never used supplements and they, they specifically looked for one particular fatty acid and then one of the lead researchers told the media, once again, we've shown how supplements can be dangerous. So I think oh. that it's pretty questionable what the agenda was here. But no, they were, they are, you know, they were ten, they were professors and, and, and researchers and, and they published the study and it, you know, certainly was, look, you have to understand a lot of junk gets published. A lot of junk science gets published, um, even in legitimate journals. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, this could be, we could discuss this for hours and, you know, the methodology. And I can tell you this, there's a group called the Cochrane, uh, the Cochrane Review, which basically just evaluates research studies. So what they basically do is they look at all the different studies that have been done on a given topic. And uh, they throw out the ones that they think don't meet methodological, uh, um, you know, criteria that, that, you know, just are a little bit shoddy or there's some, some methodological questions. And the ones that they keep, they then analyze and they say, what, is, what, are, what are the bulk of these studies kind of pointing in the direction of? What do they show us? Well, if we combine all of them. And if you look at any Cochrane Review study, They'll look at like, you know, 2,000 studies that have been done on a given topic or 1,000 studies or 500, and they wind up keeping about 13 of them. That's how many bad (laughs) studies there are out there. They won't even include half the studies in their review because they don't meet uh, methodological uh, scrutiny. As a nutritionist and somebody who studied this stuff, when you look at supplements on those things, obviously not having a study doesn't mean that it doesn't work, but would you rather, if you're going to promote a particular supplement, have the double and triple blind studies and clinical studies? Uh, you know, I, my, my great mentor in, in nutrition, the great Robert Crahan, used to say that the New York City Fire Department does not have a double blind study showing that water puts out fire. But they operate like it's true. Uh, You know, we don't have any double-blind studies on jumping out of planes with parachutes and which ones work and which ones don't. So there are times when we have to kind of connect the dots and use uh, the studies that we do have, the observations that we can make, the clinical experience that we have to kind of make some working hypotheses for things that are unlikely to be studied in a rigorous, rigorous manner. Very hard to study supplements in that manner because really when we're talking about nutrients, we're talking about something about um, substances that work in conjunction with one another in a holistic milieu. When we study drugs, we're talking about a single molecule with a single uh, action and a single target. And using that methodology to study nutrients is a little bit tricky. It's kind of like, you know, I always like to use the example of a rock and roll band because everybody can relate to that. I don't know how many Mick Jagger solo albums you can mention. (laughs) I can't remember one of them, but I sure know who the Rolling Stones are. And very often, nutrients work together like a band. And their effect 
and their power is uh, very much dependent on what else is going on. You know, uh, in the absence, you know, vitamin A is great for night blindness, and, but if, you know what? If you don't have enough zinc in the system, doesn't work very well. So there's a lot of things that kind of work together in this synergistic way. And the model of testing that has been the kind of gold standard for testing drugs is very, very different. And it doesn't always lend itself to the same kind of uh, investigation as we really want to do with uh, nutrition and, and health and, um, and vitamins, because they, they really do work together in this way. And <clears throat> because... Uh, the economics of doing this kind of test, it's about $200 million to bring a drug to market. It could be even more. Um, there's no incentive for drug companies to do tests like this on vitamin B12 or any vitamin that can't be patented. Uh, the drug right. companies are looking for patentable medicines. There's no margin, there's no payoff, there's no reason for them to test alpha-lipoic acid or vitamin C in any kind of clinical trial like that. There are some studies like that, but they're few and far between. And when they're done by these research scientists who basically work, uh, you know, in, 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 in the mainstream investigating drugs, these guys unfortunately often don't even use the right form of the supplement. They don't use the right dose of the supplement. In many cases, one might be forgiven for thinking there might even be an agenda to show that these things don't work. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, of course we'd always love to see these perfect double-blind studies on each and every nutrient, but we're unlikely to get them, and I don't think that we should proceed as if none of these things matter because we don't have a double-blind study showing that it does. Right. Well, let me just say that uh, there have been a lot of omega-3 studies, and there are some companies that have come out with omega-3s that doctors do prescribe. Is that correct? Well, uh, <laughs> There's a lot, you, you asked a lot of things, there's a lot of assumptions in that, in that question. Um, doctors don't prescribe omega-3s the way, as a drug unless they're using Lanza, which is the, the, the one and only prescription form of omega-3s that I know of. Okay. Uh, doctors don't prescribe nutrients. They may recommend them, but they don't really prescribe them. So we've got to be a little more accurate about that language. Uh, if you're talking about, you know, integrative docs who kind of take from all traditions and understand the whole way the body functions and the way different systems speak to each other, they will very often use nutrition and use nutritional supplements. But, you know, I go to a lot of nutritional conferences, and I see the same 300 MDs at all of them. And the fact is, there's about 600,000 doctors in America, and most of them don't know vitamin C from vitamin D from a hole in the wall. Right. They're just not trained in nutrition. They don't know how to use it as a therapeutic modality. And, you know, for the most part, they don't recommend them. They recommend that you don't take them because they don't know what they do, and they're afraid they might interfere with drugs, which they do know about. So, you know, getting your nutrition information from a doctor, to me, is like getting uh, information on how to play golf from your accountant. You know, your accountant might be a good golfer, but he didn't learn that in accounting school, and he's certainly no expert on golf. So, you know, uh, and your doctor did not learn anything about nutrition in med school if he's, he or she goes to the conferences and has decided to educate themselves, or maybe he went like the great Mark Houston, the head of the Hyperattention Institute in Nashville, who then went on and got a master's in nutrition. Yeah, there are a few people like that, but they're few and far between. Very good. Let's, let's get back to the fish oil deal again because I want to I kind of tie up, put a bow on this thing a little bit. Um, 
you do you recommend fish oil? Uh, there's there's different ones out there. There's krill oil. There's fish oil. There's um, the the problem with um, PCBs or something like that. I, I forget. I think that's what they call them. Uh, some issues with um, you know whether it's clean, the oil's clean or not, and how much should you take? I know I just hit you with another ton of questions, so I apologize. Uh, I think that fish oil is, is, is pretty close to a universal recommendation. There aren't many. I'm a big believer in biochemical individuality and the fact that no one thing works for everybody and that mm-hmm. people need different types of diets, different types of supplements. Everybody is unique in that way. But that said, uh, if I'm, I'm asked frequently, like, what, you know, what my top ten, seven supplements are, my top ten or whatever they are, and there are a few supplements that I think just about everybody would benefit from, and fish oil would be at the top of that list. That's good. Good news for people who thought they had to quit their fish oil. <laughs> yeah. Is there a difference between muscle oil, krill oil, and fish oil? Yeah, there are, and, and for the pre- people listening to this uh, broadcast, my advice is this. Don't worry about it. I think that in nutrition, we get so caught up in the most minuscule, uh, tiny details that make very, very little difference in the long haul. I think I'm a big believer in fighting the big battles. You know, when people are eating seven meals a day at McDonald's or seven meals a week at McDonald's, whether the phospholipid form of krill oil is 4% better absorbed than the triglyceride form of fish is Utterly and completely irrelevant. It's all good. Krill oil, fish oil, they're all good. The point is people don't get nearly enough of it. And, you know, to make this all a big debate about what form is slightly better absorbed, I think is kind of just a waste of time. What people need to know is that this is great stuff. If you like krill oil, take krill oil. If you like fish oil, take fish oil. If you like the triglyceride form or the ethyl ester form, it doesn't matter. It's all good stuff. And when we're talking to people who are so, you know, it, it, like the, 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 that are on the typical American diet and doing so poorly with every metric of, of health and vitality, we right. shouldn't go on to these side chains about minor points of, of absorbability. People aren't getting nearly enough of this stuff. It, to me, it's like this. You know, <clears throat> at the Olympic level of swimming, the material of your bathing suit may make a difference. If you use some special technical new super space age material, you might shave a quarter of a second off your 100 meter dash. But for the average swimmer, to waste that much time on whether we're using this space age material versus that, when you guys haven't even, when, when you haven't, you, your job is to get in the water and do some strokes, not worry about, you know, is your bathing suit made of super space age material or not? Because for most people, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you get the right nutrients, you eat the right foods, and you get the right lifestyle choices, and these little details about which one is better absorbed and which one uh, is is really just a lot of technical mumbo-jumbo, and it doesn't really impact the average person at all. Well, you know, that's really good news, Johnny, for most people that take fish oil because there are some companies that sell exotic fish oils for, you know, $50, $60 a bottle. And, uh, you know, um, not to tell anybody that they shouldn't be taking that, but it's, it's, I think it's good news to hear that I could probably get along for a little less money and uh, I don't have to be a rich guy to maybe get the right supplements. Is that right? It, it's completely right. I'm going to give you two brands that are available at every single outlet you can think of in, in, in America. Ocean Blue, 
You can get at Walmart, you can get at, at, at Walgreens, at CVS, at Rite Aid, Ocean Blue, Barleen's, you can get at every health food store in America, GNC, Vitamin Shop. These are two great brands. Anything they make is going to be great. Don't worry about it so much. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to go move on a little bit. I've got you for just a little bit more time, so I want to kind of talk about a couple other things, especially since uh, I told you that I was diagnosed with cancer. And, I, and I've, so every one of my friends has hit me up with a super thing that fixes it. Um, one of the things that I get hit with a lot is alkaline versus acid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, what I found research-wise on the web is that, yes, it, uh, uh, supposedly the cancer can't live in an alkaline or uh, I'm sorry, an acid uh, body, uh, so you want to be as alkaline as possible. But I also found out that your kidneys or one of your organs in your body does balance out your alkaline and acid pretty well. So if you're taking more alkaline, uh, your body wants to become more acid, so you might be defeating the whole purpose. Does any of that well, make sense Well, this is really, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty comfortable discussing uh, weight, weight maintenance, weight loss, that's, that was my specialty, it has been for 20 years. Diabetes, heart disease, these are the things I know about and can talk about. I, I purposely stay away from cancer, it is a very specialized field, there's a lot of controversy in it, I don't want to give anybody the wrong advice, and it's that's just great. not my specialty. Uh, you want to talk to me about gaining weight, losing weight, getting healthy, uh, staying healthy, living longer, uh, avoiding diabetes, what to do if you are diabetic, we can talk about about that for hours, but I, honestly, uh, JB, I'm just, uh, I'm just not a cancer expert. Okay, let's move and on. And I know to... that these things, that these arguments exist back and forth all over the place. Do you use antioxidants during chemotherapy? Do you not? Uh, there, wiser people who have specialized in this have better information about it than I do. So I, t- I tend to stay away from cancer. I will tell you the one fact that I think is pretty much agreed upon by everybody from all ends of the spectrum, which is this: cancer cells feed on sugar. Nothing more to say about it than that. Good to know. So let's move on to diet. Good. Um, everybody who knew that I was talking to you today wanted to know. Uh, they know diets work, uh, but the problem is with them that uh, nobody wants to stay on them. Making mm-hmm. them a lifestyle is very hard. And uh, I know at 55, my doctor says I've got to get my diet together so, you know, not just to help with the cancer, but because I'm... Uh, predisposed to type 2 diabetes so um how do you how do you find something you can stay on how do you change it how do you get people to change their lifestyle you've talked to a lot of people about this i'm sure well you know when we designed our diet program unleash your fin which is available on my website and all over the internet um we gave that a lot of uh of, of thought and uh you know i've been writing about weight loss i was the i village weight loss coach for years and the aol weight loss coach for years and uh, you know, my first book was on weight loss and a couple of subsequent ones and then Living Low Carb, which you uh, graciously mentioned, which is now in its fifth edition, is a review of all the diet books that are out there. And uh, so I didn't do my own diet program until just a couple of years ago when we did Unleash Your Thin. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought about that very fact. Uh, what is it that really derails people on a diet? Uh, it's not that they don't have information. It's not that they don't know what to do. It's what, what, what is it that gets between us and putting the information we have into use? Uh, and we did in Unleash Your Thin something that I had not seen done in diet programs before, which is to spend about half the time on just that issue. 
on the psychology of it, on the compliance issue. Uh, because when I right. started in, as a trainer in 1990, I found very quickly that the reason people fell off their diets had very little to do with the food and very little to do with the information and a lot to do with whether they had a fight with their girlfriend or their boyfriend that day and whether or not they had stress at the job and whether or not they felt like uh, sitting around and eating bonbons when they were feeling a lot of stress and anxiety and loneliness. So clearly, there are aspects to sticking with a lifestyle that have very little to do with food. And what we did with Unleash Your Thin was really examine the associations that we have to the foods that make us fat, sick, tired, and depressed. And we talk, we take a lot of pages from the addiction playbook. Because as a, a person who has had, you know, very public, uh, battles with addiction for many years prior to getting into this field, things I've talked about in my books and talked about on the radio and television and uh, columns, uh, everyone knows that I've had quite a lot of battles with that. And, mm -hmm. and what I found is that the things that help us beat addiction are exactly the tools we need to use when we're trying to change our lifestyle around food. We are addicted to the foods that make us fat. Those foods have been engineered very carefully by scientists smarter than you and me both to have exactly the right amounts of sugar, fat, and salt to reach what, some, what food scientists call the bliss point, the point at which you just have to have another. Because that is the goal of manufacturers in any field, whether it's food or anything else. They want you to buy their stuff. They want you right. to buy more of their stuff. And how do you do that with food? You engineer it to, uh, so that the old marketing slogan, bet you can't eat just one, is right. the holy grail for every food product ever made. <laughs> so unless we address that, unless we talk about what those associations are to these foods, and how we use them to comfort ourselves, to make ourselves feel better, to manipulate our brain chemistry, whatever it is we use them to to make us feel better, we have to look at that just like the addict has to look at what alcohol or heroin or cocaine or gambling or internet porn, anything. We have to look at what the impact of that is on the brain. And if we don't turn that brain chemistry around, if we don't somehow control that behavioral control switch, we're going to continue doing the same old stuff. We can use willpower to stop eating these foods, but using willpower is like hanging from a ledge by your fingernails. Eventually, you give up and you let go. So what we have to do is literally reconstruct our relationship with food so that we are able to, instead of being the victim of the food, we can be the master of it. We can it's not that we never eat foods that are bad for us. It's not that we never eat recreational foods. But we decide when to eat them and in what amounts rather than being the victim of them. Is this a complicated plan, the unleashing the thin, or is it uh, pretty, sim pretty simple? Um, we think it's pretty uh, simple. It's pretty okay. simple. We tell you exactly what to do. I mean, basically, we start from the premise that everybody's different. So we, we do some real good psychological preparation in the first week so that we get everybody on the same page and we set them up for, for success. Then we do a kind of phase, phase two where we kind of clean out the system, take out all the foods that are known to uh, trigger hormones that uh, result in fat gain and uh, take out all the foods that people tend to have reactions to, delayed food sensitivities right. to. And then once the kind of the terrain is cleared, we begin to very carefully add back certain foods and note what our reactions to them are. Do we feel bloated? 
Do we have a drop in energy? Do we go to the bathroom more? Are we not sleeping as well? Are we feeling more energized? And we note those things and we kind of use this in a very structured way to develop our own individualized eating program. So at the end of the six weeks of Unleash Your Thin, you actually know what's going to work for you. Uh, the four that I can think of off the top of my head would be soy, gluten, uh, sugar. Well, those are the usual. That's what we call the usual suspects. You know, right. uh, Dr. Elson. Are these the things that you, that, uh, that you knock out and then bring back? Uh, well, these are the ones that tend to, you know, look, there's always going to be an outlier, some guy who's going to have a major reaction to asparagus, but it's very, very rare. Right. The ones that tend to cluster, the, we're, you know, if you did a big bar graph and you say, you know, here are the foods, how many people tend to be sensitive to these foods or have bad reactions to these foods or gain weight when they eat foods, the same seven ones are going to show up as the usual suspects. There will be outliers who have reactions to weird foods that aren't very common. But for the most part, we're talking about sugar, soy, dairy, uh, you know, to some extent citrus. And, and these, are, these are the same ones that come up all the time. Right. Um, many of my colleagues in, in integrative medicine have, have been known to say, look, I get somebody come in my office, I don't exactly know what's going on with them, I know that they've got a whole bunch of different symptoms and they don't quite feel right, we can't really, I just take them off sugar, wheat and dairy for four weeks and we see what happens and 80% of them, the symptoms go away. So we know that those two are big categories of foods that create problems for people. They're not the only ones, but it's a great start. That's great. And uh, Unleashing Your Thin, you said that, let's just talk about where people can get a hold of you and where they can find this stuff. You said, I'm sure it's Unleash Your Thin is all over the Internet, but you can find it directly on my website, johnnybowden.com, J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W-D-E-N.com. There's a link there. And it'll probably, if you cruise around the Internet enough, it'll pop up in a pop-up ad for you. <laughs> well, actually, everybody, if you're, re if you're listening to this, just go to the bottom of the page, and the links, all the links will be there to get a hold of uh, Johnny, get his, uh, check out his site and uh, his recommendations he you got some great recommendations i love the stories on your blog thank uh, you because you're just you just list list after list after list of great recommendations of stuff and same with your program and your book so thank you yeah good stuff so um johnny i listen i really appreciate it i i, I do want to uh, uh appreciate your time i know that you're taking care of your um your squirrel today <laughs> Yeah, my wife, uh, my wife's <laughs> rescued squirrel is here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but Johnny, I'm going to let Johnny get back to. Uh, I think he has squirrel to squirrel duty. Three hours, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor thing. Well, yeah, well thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, um, everybody, I've been speaking. This is J.W. Nigerian with On Purpose Magazine. I've been speaking to Johnny Bowden today. Thank you very much, Johnny, for coming on. Everybody get to johnnybowden.com. Check it out. Uh, I think you'll find, as I do, that he has a lot of great information there. And uh, like I said, you're the guy I go to whenever I want to find out information. And, and uh, Thank you. I find out something. Thank you so much. Good luck. Everybody have a great day and even better tomorrow. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Meta Media Group production of On Purpose Magazine. You can find On Purpose Magazine at onpurposemagazine.com. On Purpose Magazine and JW On Purpose is the property and is a trademark of Meta Media Group, and this audio is copyright 2012, and all rights are reserved. <laughs>